Hello and welcome to my podcast, The Wellbeing Bean. I'm Dan Salter and I've been known as the coffee guy for over 20 years. As some of you might be aware, I've been running No Ego, an espresso lounge and coffee roastery in Ormo on the Gold Coast. I've spent a lot of time educating coffee people and customers about the health benefits of coffee, specifically caffeine free. And it's time to let everybody know about it here on the Gold Coast and around Australia and through the world with this podcast. Freecaf is the next generation of caffeine free coffee. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, walk, run, drive, whatever you're doing and listen to this. Today's interview is with Delia McCabe, who shifted her research from focus from clinical psychology to nutritional neuroscience upon discovering nutrition's critical role in mental well-being while completing her master's. Delia's research into female stress has been published in a number of peer-reviewed journals. She is a regular featured expert in media, and her two internationally available books are available in four languages. Using her background in psychology, Combined with evidence-based nutritional neuroscience and neurological perspectives, Delia supports behavioural change and stress resilience within corporates and individuals who want to optimise their brain health via online courses, workshops and tailored events internationally. Delia, it's great to have you here and welcome to The Wellbeing Bean. Danny, thank you for the invite. I'm delighted to talk about one of my favorite subjects and yours. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I wanted to get into your background and what you do, um, being a neuroscientist, where you've started from, um, a little bit of history, and possibly, you know, what what is your focus and what you actually really enjoy about neuroscience right now like what's what's floating your boat because i know that things shift as in your career and and we've talked about so many things at the uh, miami organic markets over and again thank you danny look it's quite an interesting story because i really decided not to be a talking therapist when i was completing my master's in clinical psychology I was working with a bunch of really smart school kids who were failing at school. And they were the kind of kids that parents get really frustrated with. They could be doing fantastically and they're doing really poorly. And I discovered purely by accident that the children in the experimental group, that's the kids doing poorly, they loved junk food. And my control group, which was the smart kids doing well, didn't love junk food. And at that point in time, I was pregnant with my first child, my daughter. And I said, well, I'm going to take a little bit of time off and see if there's anything to this subject. And I discovered nutritional neuroscience. And, you know, as the saying goes, I didn't turn back after that because my peers were still wanting to talk people better. And I started understanding very clearly that it was impossible to talk a malnourished brain to improved thinking and behavior. It was much more difficult than nourishing the brain first. So fast forward 25 plus years, which really ages me, I decided that I wanted to investigate stress because stress is a huge topic. And, you know, we can't get away from stress living on planet Earth today. Mm. And I wanted to find out how expensive stress was from a nutritional perspective and how that impacted brain function and our capacity to cope. And so that led to a very deep dive into female stress and nutrient intake and I now look at ways to help women and men because mm. women's brains are just a little bit more complicated than men. So if <laughs> we can help women, we can help men too. Uh, I'm now looking at ways to help us become stress resilient from a neurological, a psychological and a nutritional perspective. Because when I intersect those three areas of research and science, there's a beautiful sweet spot that we can manipulate 
so that we can maximize maximize our stress resilience. Yeah, because I mean, I think right now we're, we're all on that fight or flight. We've talked about it several times. Everybody's maxed out. You've got your phones at, at, at your at your hand at every moment. You're you're always on a call. You, it's it's so hard to to reduce your adrenal sort of rush that you're getting all the time. But there's also the fact that people are getting almost dependent on that adrenal hit or the dopamine hit we talk about um, from their phones, from from the likes on Facebook and all those sort of things. And I think that has a correlation to the coffee side of things too. Do you sort of look into the the social media and how that affects things as well? Or is it mainly the diet side? No, I have to look at the social media and all the other things that are impacting us in our environment because what happens when you're looking at your phone and you're on social media all the time is simply a neurochemical reaction in your brain. And that neurochemical reaction is the same chemical reaction or similar to what happens when you eat certain food. And, you know, when you watch certain movies or you get involved in a heated discussion with somebody. So we can't actually separate anything that we do, whether it's what we eat, what we're thinking, what we're paying attention to from what goes on between our ears. Because our brain being as plastic as it is and as sensitive to the environment as it is will be adapting and changing all the time. So one has to take all these different factors into account when we look at becoming stress resilient. Because if you don't do that, you can be doing something really good on one side, for example, you know, minimizing social media and doing a lot of mindfulness practicing and even exercising a lot. But if you're not nourishing your brain at the neuronal level with the right kinds of nutrients, then you're not going to get the full benefit. So we need to take all these factors together and, and combine them in the unique way that I've learned how to do to be able to get maximum benefit. Because otherwise, all you're doing is reaping a little bit of the benefit that you can. So organic food as opposed to normal food, do you think there's a difference? There's definitely a difference. And it's really quite simple. Um, and I love explaining it to people why it's really simple to choose organic versus conventionally grown food. Every single time our cells produce energy, and this is, of course, specifically true for the brain, which is the most energy demanding organ and also the one that produces the most energy. Every time energy is produced, we produce free radicals. And those free radicals, some of them have a function in the body and brain, but most of them cause damage. Let's, let's talk about them in terms of, for example, the idea of rust. That's what free radicals do. They cause a kind of a rust from a physiological perspective. And antioxidants stop that. They stop that rust. So if you can eat food that has got more antioxidants, then you're going to be minimizing that damage from the free radicals. And conventional produce has less antioxidant content because it doesn't have to fight the environment to protect itself. Whereas organic produce has to fight the environment to, you know, to get rid of pests and so on. And those compounds that fight the environment are actually antioxidants. Right. So when you eat organic food, you're getting those extra benefit because you're getting extra extra antioxidants. Basically, the plants have to be tougher to survive. Is that also in when you're talking about organic and then you're um, talking about uh, hydroponic because hydroponics are, you know, they've got an easier life. They get all the nutrients fed to them. It's not in soil. Is there any difference between those two? Absolutely. Um, 
hydroponics, basically they grow in a water medium and their chemicals and nutrients put into the water to feed the plants. So it's great for the people picking the produce because there's not soil to deal with, but they're not getting plants the way, you know, we're not getting the produce the way nature intended us to get it. So I would definitely choose food that grew in the soil. But there's something else very important to mention in terms of organic produce because pesticides accumulate in fat. And our brain is 60% fat at dry weight. So when we consume food with toxins in it, those toxins naturally gravitate to a fat-rich area on our body. And so we end up causing damage really at the neuronal membrane level when we consume toxins. And there's a lot of evidence to show that farmers who grew conventional produce had a significantly higher rate of contracting Parkinson's. And that was because of the toxic chemicals they were breathing in, which goes straight into the brain and obviously touching as well. Um, you know, so there was transdermal absorption and then breathing in through the lungs. So there are three different ways that those toxins were impacting these farmers. So we know that avoiding these kinds of toxins is extremely important for optimal brain health. Well, I mean, this is where for me with with four kids i'm so particular and and so is my partner and you know that beverly so so focused on on nutrition for the kids um and and the whole aspect of um, glyphosate and how it affects the foods and the sheer volume of chemicals that are in in the foods at the moment um, I think it's it's really important that we, we sort of steer away from it. The thing about feeding children, you know, I know that that's a priority for you and it was for me with my children as well, is that when children aren't fed optimally, they can't reach their genetic potential from an intellectual perspective. So when you really think about that, if you want your children to excel from an intellectual perspective and to be able to reach the, their potential from your genes – as a parent, you need to be feeding them optimally because that's the only way that's going to happen. Mm. There's too much happening in the brain, um, in utero and when the child is born, that depends on optimal nutrients being available to that brain. So, you know, when people speak about, you know, falling pregnant, that's important, having a healthy baby, that's all really important. But what's also important is being able to maximize the child's intellectual potential. And that's what optimal nutrition will do, including avoiding pesticides. I guess that goes to um, dexterity as well, because your brain controls all of that as well. So if, if your dexterity would be affected. Absolutely. I think separating the body and the brain is a, is a very dangerous exercise because there's a lot of brain and neural activity that depends on the body moving. And there's now research coming out to show that children who spend their lives on the couch looking at their iPads are actually stunting brain development simply because their bodies aren't moving. So the body moving stimulates specific neurochemicals, which stimulates certain neurobiological activities, which only have certain window of time to operate in. So if the child isn't active during those periods of development, you can't go back. There's no rewind button to say, okay, let's go back and let's, you know, get the kid off the couch and get them out there. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Nature is a pretty hard taskmaster in that respect. It's uh, very obvious at the moment. I think we're all suffering that in in our uh, society. Let's talk about the fact that you were an anti-coffee crusader when we first met. Why was that? (laughs) 
Well, it's an interesting thing because I remember my husband came home from the market and he'd met you there. And I'm not entirely sure why I wasn't there because I was normally at the market. But somehow he'd got into a conversation with you and you'd discussed coffee. And I thought, no, I have a few things to ask this man. And so I think you were foraging. We you were foraging and, and, and he was hunter gathering. I don't know what he was doing. No. He was just talking. <laughs> yeah, I was busy foraging yeah. and he was hunting and he yeah. hunted the conversation with you. So we ended up having a chat about coffee. The reason I have um, a problem with coffee, and I want to really make this very clear, is that I'm not saying that coffee doesn't have benefits, and I'm not saying that everybody should stop drinking coffee. Whenever I give an in-person presentation or I do a workshop, I ask the audience, do you want to know how coffee works? And 50% of the audience say no, and they shake their heads. <laughs> and the other 50% look a little bit uncertain, and a few of them will raise their hands. And eventually I'll say, look, there may be a democracy out there, but in here there isn't because knowledge is power. And I'm going to tell you how coffee works. And so I do, I explain it to them. And when I do, I see the light bulbs go off because the importance of understanding how coffee works will definitely shift people's perspective when they realize what coffee is actually costing them. So let me just explain it really briefly. I'd love that because that's fantastic. Coffee is a neuropsychologically active compound. It's actually a psychoactive compound, which, is, which comes from the plant kingdom. Um, and that's because caffeine is the active compound, the one that we're going to discuss now. It also contains theobromine, which is actually a stimulant for the heart. But caffeine, let's focus on that. When we consume a beverage with caffeine in it, it stimulates the release of dopamine. And dopamine is a very powerful neurotransmitter. It's called the pleasure and the motivating neurotransmitter for a reason. And it is released when we have sex, when we eat a really great meal, when we engage in anything that will ensure our survival. Unfortunately, it's also released when we sniff cocaine or yeah. shoot methamphetamine. It's a very, very powerful neuro neurochemical. Unfortunately, this is not a free lunch. So we have this release of dopamine, this lovely pleasure hit, and with it comes along adrenaline. Now, this is something else I'll show in my in-person workshop. I'll show what adrenaline costs us from a nutritional perspective because the challenge is that adrenaline isn't just produced, you know, as a mystical compound in our body. It uses nutrients to be able to be formed, to be able to be synthesized. So we now have caffeine, we've got dopamine, and we've got adrenaline. Now, adrenaline needs nutrients to be produced. So those nutrients are underlying the synthesis of, of adrenaline that is produced from the caffeine consumption. And there's a bit more bad news because when adrenaline is released via caffeine, there's a compound called adenosine, which is limited. Its synthesis is now limited. And adenosine is extremely important. What adenosine does, it builds up during the day so that when you go to sleep, you've got a lot of it to work with melatonin to help you go to sleep. But every time you drink a cup of coffee, you negate adenosine. You basically stop its production and what's there gets minimized and now you have to start from scratch again. So you've got those two things happening, adrenaline synthesis with the pleasure hit and adenosine um, reduction. And then of course you need to go to the bathroom because caffeine is also a diuretic and then you want that feel good feeling again. So then you grab another cup of coffee. The challenge in this whole process is 
that you become reliant on coffee to give you that extra jolt of energy, which adrenaline is making you feel is real energy. But it's not really real energy, good mitochondrial energy. It's the kind of energy you get when you need to race away from a tiger. So it's expensive energy. And then you start relying on it because your energy just becomes more depleted over time and your mitochondria become less effective at producing energy. So that's how coffee works. And then, of course, we have the psychological aspect, you know, that's a ritual. Every day we get up, we have our coffee, we chat to our friend, we chat to the barista. It's part of what we do. I think at this point in time, depending on where you get your stats from, 1.4 to 2.25 billion cups of coffee are drunk each day. 4.9 billion cups. There we go. So that was in 2012. So we've had a 12% increase year on year. So it's it's huge. Yeah. The thing for me as a stress resilience researcher, I say to myself, how many of those people aren't stressed? Hmm. And I think the answer is pretty self-evident. Most of the people drinking coffee are feeling stressed, especially after the last 14 plus rotten months on this planet. So they, they have a lot of adrenaline and cortisol circulating in their body already. And every time they drink a cup of coffee, they're having another jolt of adrenaline. So in their case, coffee is actually a stress hit. And it's costing them from a nutritional perspective, which is why when they get to the end of the day, they're shattered. They don't have the nutrients necessary anymore. And and as we've we've learned, sorry, Delia, as we've learned over the last couple of um, interviews and, and podcasts is that the caffeine affects your digestive capacity too. So to actually take those nutrients on to then feed your body, it's going to cause a problem. 100%. There's a huge spin-on effect, a huge negative vicious cycle, and it's a downward spiral because you have stress already circulating, which is needing nutrients to to synthesize those compounds. Then you're drinking coffee, you're having more adrenaline that needs to be synthesized. So you don't have those nutrients available for mitochondrial function. Then you don't have them available when it comes time for sleep because you also need those very similar kinds of nutrients for serotonin and melatonin synthesis. So you lie in your bed and you're wired, but you're exhausted. You know, the Mm. wired but tired feeling. And that's the reason why. You're actually deficient in nutrients because you've been leaching them all day. So when I heard about Precaf, I was deliriously happy because – very skeptical to start off though you were very skeptical (laughs) i was very skeptical because i said oh no no decaffeination you know introduces a whole lot of bad chemicals and then you explained to me that it was the swiss water filtered process and i was obviously really happy and then i became deliriously happy (laughs) because i could see how free calf could fit into a person's lifestyle who wanted to be optimally healthy but really craved that cup of coffee because it's really easy to introduce free calf into your life and not feel deprived yeah. because people don't change their behavior when they feel deprived. No. They change their behavior when they think everything is still good and things taste delicious. I mean, that's why we've, we've coined the phrase um, embrace the ritual and kick the habit because it's, it's so much about that ritual that you have in the morning and, and to have that not feel like you've been starved of it is a part of the, the the day and i think that's a very very important process if you're going to kick the habit but enjoy that ritual to be able to keep going and not feel like you're you're missing out yeah it's awesome absolutely 
And the problem is, you know, if you're meeting up with some friends and they're all drinking coffee and you don't have a replacement that you're happy to consume that's really healthy, then you're always the one left out. And no one wants to feel left out. So we just need to get free caf in more places, Danny, so more people can be using it and realize how yummy it is. Yeah, we do. We do. Absolutely. Look, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate that. It's it's so informative when I speak to you. I always enjoy it. And uh, we look forward to having you on again soon. So Delia, where can people contact you? People can find me um, at my blog, which is www.lby.life, which stands for Lighter, Brighter You. They can find me on Instagram as well, where I share about what I do in my kitchen, the meals I create, and the different places I speak at and so on. And they can also find me on Facebook um, on an author page also titled Lighter, Brighter You, where I share different um, articles and information about maximizing um, our brain health and well-being. And your two book titles? Yes, I have written two books. The first one is all about the science of feeding your brain, and it's called Feed Your Brain, Seven Steps to a Lighter, Brighter You. And the second one is Feed Your Brain, the cookbook, which basically takes the science into the kitchen so that you can make delicious food because it's not about deprivation. Um, Make delicious food and be using science to do that so that you optimize brain function and even start healing your brain from stress. Fantastic. Thank you, Delia. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Danny. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. We'll see you soon. Before we go, if you want to know more on The Wellbeing Bean, head to our website, freecaf.com, where you'll find all the latest information on our full-flavored, chemical-free and caffeine-free coffee. You can order special blends online or single origin. You can also email us at info at freecaf.com.au. You can also join us on social media by following us on Instagram, liking us on Facebook, where you can also leave a comment about this week's topic or interview. This episode of The Wellbeing Bean has been recorded on the Gold Coast at Noego Espresso Lounge and Coffee Roastery. I'm Dan Salter, the coffee guy from the Gold Coast. Thanks for listening to The Wellbeing Bean and we'll catch you soon.